You're listening to the Personal Mastery Podcast with Ari Baga. Interviewing CEOs and executives who are performing at the highest level in their industry. Working purposefully towards a vision in alignment with their values and in a state of constant learning about the self. Welcome to another episode of the Personal Mastery Podcast. And in this episode, we have Hugh Thomas, also known as Ugly Hugh. He is a CEO and co-founder of Ugly, which is a flavored, sugarless, sparkling water drink. He started the brand in the UK and expanded it into the United States, and it is now one of the fastest growing beverage brands. He is taking on companies the likes of Coca-Cola and Pepsi, and he is on his journey to build the next Red Bull. So I have him on the podcast today to tell us exactly where he comes from, how he started the brand, and how he plans on taking on these multi-billion dollar brands. So without further ado, here's you. Hugh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here, Ari. Appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Uh, are you uh, calling in from the UK or are you in New York? Oh, I'm in New York. It's actually two years next week since I moved here. Um, oh, wow. But yes, you're correct. British accent. <laughs> um, it's not fake. Um, second year living in New York has been different to the first year living here, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah, so a lot of people know you as the mysterious UK man or ugly you. You go by ugly you now. Uh, I do. So. I think I've changed on everything now and I've lost my real name on social media. So I'm this <laughs> indefinitely. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit more about you, uh, where you come from uh, and sort of like what your interests are? Yeah, so um, I'm Hugh, obviously I'm from the UK. I'm from a town called Worcester. Um, I know there's a Worcester in Massachusetts too, but this one's in the UK. Uh, you guys say Worcestershire, but Worcestershire sauce is from, so Liam Perrins is made in Worcester. That's about what it's famous for. It's in the okay. middle of the country near Birmingham. I grew up there and then moved to London about 10 years ago, worked in London and then moved over here two years ago. Um, generally um, passionate about many things from, you know, music, sports, food, like anyone else, but particularly... Uh, love um, the people starting products and consumer products, food and beverage. Um, is That's kind of always been a passion of mine in working life is people making food and drinking packages and trying to change the world for the better. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of, I'll be the guy walking into any deli corner shop, um, checking <laughs> out the drinks fridge. Um, that's what really kind of gets me going. But yeah, I'm, you know, love living in the U.S., Loved living in the UK too, love travel. So always looking for new experiences like that. How, how's travel been for you? <laughs> yeah, well, this year, well, this year I, have, you know, I, have, I haven't been able to go back to the UK this year for many reasons with coronavirus. Um, so it's the longest I've ever been out of the UK, um, coming up to 10 months at this point without seeing family and friends back home. And who knows how long it'll go for, but travel's been a big part of the job for me, kind of going to different states, different cities uh, different regions to launch ugly with distributors but this year that's kind of been put on hold so I spent a lot of time working out of my apartment in New York I was in the mm -hmm. Lower East Side I've just moved to Brooklyn so um, yeah. yeah when we were going into lockdown I was in Manhattan um, and uh, yeah I was it was a lot of unknowns at that point certainly running a startup too 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, in New York too when the lockdown started. I was actually there for like six months. Uh, and after a while, I just made my way back to LA. Uh, that's always, <laughs> yeah, it's always, <laughs> yeah, it's always fun to go to New York. Very awesome city. Yeah, so that's great. You started Ugly in the UK. Um, can you talk about like the launch process uh, in the UK and then transitioning here in the US? Yeah, so um, started Ugly when I was, you know, well, I had the idea with my co-founder Joe when we were like 23, 24 back in the UK. I was working for Vitacoco, the coconut water business uh, in Europe before that. So Joe and I had spent a few years working there together. That's where we met. Um, And we learned how to work in that kind of American style beverage company, just doing it in another country. Managed to spend some time over in the US with the team here as well. So kind of got the bug for beverage startups and that American way of doing things. Obviously, being Brits, we couldn't launch in America straight away. So we started the business in London on a shoestring, we were working in our old jobs at the same time. So taking calls with factories before work, after work. Um, We launched uh, in Selfridges, which is a big department store in the UK. And we had one store at the time. We did a small production run. Uh, We did demos every single day in that store, meeting consumers, um, trying to get the thing moving in the right direction. And then we, through that, managed to open up a few more stores. And then we got Whole Foods in the UK, which is like 10 stores, roughly 10 stores at the time. And then we got, you know, through that process, kind of got the brand building online, got some buzz, got noticed, raised, some, managed to bump. We actually bumped into some investors doing a demo, which is a good a good yeah. message for any founders out there. I guess demo is a little bit harder to do right now than normal. But um, we met our one of our investors who's invested in us you know, since the beginning, whilst doing our, our demos at that time, um, have continued to build the brand uh, from there. And about two years into con- building the UK business, met some US-based investors who, who, were, who said, you know, this would actually work in the US where the market for what you're doing is a lot bigger. Um, mm-hmm. For anyone that doesn't know, Ugly is a flavoured sparkling water, which, so in the UK, we were the first. So there's no LaCroix in the UK. That is that is us. And um we're now in about 5,000 stores there, but obviously launching in the US was always always on the plan. It came a little earlier than we expected. Um, initially ran it remotely from the UK whilst I was waiting for a visa and waiting through that process. So I was doing mm. two time zones. And then, like I said, two years ago, next week, uh, flew over here with a one-way ticket and a, and a backpack, basically. <laughs> um, and now, now we're in about 15,000 stores globally. Uh, we sell online as well at uglydrinks.com. So we actually shipped our I think, two millionth can on uglydrinks.com in the US last week, wow. uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and we've shipped to every state and city. So started it in like Joe and I's bedrooms, essentially in like small <laughs> flats in London, like five years ago now. Uh, but yeah, to be so, to have people buying it in Los Angeles and New York and Chicago and also in the UK, um, it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. And um it's not been easy by any stretch of the imagination. How do you even like demo drinks? So are you guys just like setting up a table and then just like, you know, pouring it out for people to drink? Yeah, exactly that. So we, um, we would have ice cold cans, obviously, because you don't want to warm <laughs> down. And uh, we would set up a table near the fridge. Um, we'd have product in the fridge, obviously. And then I think somebody would come over thinking they were just talking to a regular demo rep. And then they realized that, we're talking to the world's most passionate people about it who are going to sell them like they're on uh, Shark's Tank. Um, 
and obviously you convince a lot of people that way to pick up an extra can and and then that's how a lot of people discover your brands obviously with mm -hmm. coronavirus pouring people samples of beverages is not quite as easy so a lot of that has gone away temporarily but you know that's how a mm -hmm. lot of brands have been built yeah yeah so from like the start of the business can you talk about like the product creation because like you didn't have a background in like I don't know what someone would even study to make beverages, but uh, how did you guys like get, get through that process? Was it just like re reaching out to manufacturers or how did, yeah. how did you make it happen? It's a crazy question. Cause you know, one of the things that always fascinates me when I see other startups that I'm like, that's cool or that's awesome. I'm always like, how did they even get there? How do you even yeah. go about making like a keto donut or like yeah. <laughs> founder of like a peanut butter and jam, a uh, jelly sandwich brand last week who like called Chubbies. Yeah. He does it. I was like, how do you even get there? And I'm always fascinated by that too. But, you know, for us, it was a case of asking questions, joining the dots. And everything in the startup is about joining the dots and understanding what the next dot is and the next dot is, using a network, asking around. Generally, asking founders who've been there and done it is always helpful, right? Because they are always, they were always helpful and they're always people who got helped up the ladder themselves. So with Ugly Now, I'll, I'll always help someone out if they're trying to do what we're trying to do. Um, so that's the first step. And I'd say the other little hack we found was, um, I was writing from, I think my Gmail or my Hotmail address at the time, like some embarrassing email address name. I, I don't even know. I won't reveal it. Um, I don't want any more spam. It gets enough. Um, but one of the things we changed was we've got a domain name. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily need to be the name of the company, right? That you actually end up with. It could be like, I don't know, whatever, like carrot.com or at carrot.com, but I made a little email signature. And then as soon as we started emailing from like a company, a domain name and an email signature saying founder, CEO, or whatever you want to do, we started yeah. getting more responses from factories who took us a bit more seriously. Um, yeah. And then the, I think the big question, well, the big thing I'd always encourage people who are doing that is if somebody says no, they can't help you or they don't know, ask them if they know someone who does. Um, mm -hmm. So, oh, so they say, sorry, we can't do this. You don't. Do you know anyone who can help? And I genuinely believe five or six times very early on the answer to the question we were looking for was by asking that question um so yeah we still have that kind of hustle to find out but you know i never had any idea how to start a business in america I never had any idea how to set, start manufacturing or anything a website mm -hmm. you know any any of this stuff and you know just by trial and error and pushing yourself to ask stupid questions um they're not really stupid is the answer yeah. but um we've slowly got there but um yeah, kind of crazy now you've asked that question i hadn't dwelled on it for a while <laughs> yeah that's awesome and i think like it goes to show like you can get into like any business like if you're willing to do the research like you can figure it out and if you have um there's a lot of people who have already done it all you have to do is find those people and ask them that's like your uh, podcast so, right like i don't i mean you have to work out how to do it right how do you start a podcast how yeah. do you record it like you have to do the first one don't you and you have to exactly do then you do a second one and you get better and better and you join the dots. You're like, oh, that's what I need to do. And that's kind of like starting a business, isn't it? It's like starting anything. Mm -hmm. You have to stick at it as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. So now getting more into like when you started the brand, uh, was that more like to solve a personal problem that you had? Or was that like you seeing like a, an opportunity in the marketplace and trying to solve it? It's a bit of both. I think, um, you know, I'd been working for a drinks company. So I, I knew kind of 
they say there's a Japanese phrase which is ikigai, right? And it's like the phrase the Japanese use for what gets you out of bed in the morning, what gets you going. There's a combination of like, I believe, and I might mess this up, but like what you care about, what you love, um, what you can make money doing and what you're good at. And I think, you know, I might have wanted to be a Premier League soccer player or play in, in like, you know, <laughs> play in the NBA, but like at the end of the day, I'm not good enough to do those things. So I think, you know, I wanted to start a company in something that I could actually do and like genuinely give it as good a shot as possible. So having worked mm. in drinks and kind of naturally finding my way there became like a passion area and I became passionate about it. So I guess that's how that started. And then when you start working in that industry and you realize what the big companies do and the, the damage that those products cause, I became, you know, very passionate about creating products that, you know, average Brits, make average Americans, people up and down the street, families, young people are putting and products they're putting in their body. Um, you know, in America, there are, I believe, 100 million obese people, um, which is a third of the population, basically. And type mm -hmm. 2 diabetes is no different. You have most of those people on the edge of type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetic. Similar stats in the UK, just proportion-wise with the population. And that felt like a massive issue. And then mm -hmm. when you realize how big soda is and how big sugary soda is, it's kind of staggering. And you're talking about people across this country and back in the UK too, drinking four or five cans of soda a day. If you do that, you're drinking like a quarter of a kilogram of sugar, right? And it's, yeah. it goes, and it's just liquid. So it goes straight through your body system, spikes your insulin and causes so many issues, makes people feel pretty rubbish as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I just became really passionate about that and trying to create a brand that was approachable in terms of the way it looked and spoke to people. And then also price point, because I know that most people can't afford super expensive green juices and super expensive kombuchas. As much as I love those things myself, it's, it's an expensive habit for, you know, families. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, getting that price point right was a big thing for us. So, you know, getting to $2.99, which is what our eight packs cost. So a regular family can pick up a case. And um, I just think that's been important for us. So that's what really inspired us was to create a brand that was approachable, accessible and solve that big problem. Um, and that's kind of where it started from. So, but also love the product myself and wanted to, you know, get more people to try it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely. That makes a lot of sense, especially here in the U.S. There had to be a market for that just because that um, like 200 million people are either obese or overweight in the U.S., which is yeah. a pretty crazy number to think about. So and that is because of all the sugary products that are out there. So being able to like have a different choice, like if you want to grab something refreshing, maybe grabbing like a sugarless uh, um soda water uh, might be a better option for you and that's probably one of the reasons why you guys like really grew that's because yeah. like there were mm -hmm. that's it and, we're, and we're hopefully we're just getting started too and you know um like there's so many products with sugar in right exactly um, certainly when you're drinking it it just hits your body so fast oh yeah but you still you still still got to deliver and so when someone's thirsty like you say and they grab for that moment of refreshment you still have to give the ice cold can and the colors and the visuals and the price point and it still has to hit the spot right yeah <laughs> uh, the people who are used to being used to that sweetness for years but obviously that's uh that's something that's changed now mm -hmm. now when it comes to the name ugly you had a product 
Uh, how do you even like, why did you even decide <laughs> to name it Ugly Drinks? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, when Joe and I were trying to come up with a name, there was a bunch of stuff that we considered and looked at. Um, a lot of them were safe plays, right? And yeah. I don't think anybody ever won anything by playing it safe or not taking any risks. And mm -hmm. when we saw the name Ugly or when we kind of came up with that name, it just made us feel something. It made us feel excited, a little bit nervous, a little bit scared. But we ultimately knew that it would stand out and people would remember it. But, you know, where it came from was this was a time when the UK had Brexit happening um, yep. and then the US was changing presidents. So this is like four years ago now. Uh, yeah, just four years ago. And the whole idea of like fake news and yeah. <laughs> coming through. And, you know, I was looking at food and beverage and I was like, it's kind of funny when, when you look at the big food and drink companies, it's kind of all fake news, right? It's like smiley, happy people in the adverts, you know, really healthy looking people. And then you turn the pack around and it's like, wow, this is full of stuff that I've never heard of. And, mm -hmm. you know, my parents drank it, their parents drank it. And we're just told that that's okay to do. Um, and so we, we, there was a quote by George Orwell who wrote 1984, which is, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Um, and so it felt like it was time to tell the truth about soda and tell the truth about sugary sweetened drinks. And um, we wanted to tell the ugly truth. And that's kind of where it came from is, you know, we are ugly. It's just flavored sparkling water. There's no other promises. There's no marketing uh, promises that... You know, you're going to stay awake all night. You're going to look beautiful tomorrow. Um, your <laughs> hair's going to be shiny. It's just sparkling water. It's designed for refreshment and there's nothing bad in it. Um, so if that makes us ugly, then that's what we are. Um, but then since then, it's just given us the chance to try and make water fun, ultimately. There's fun branding, fun attitude. And we just want people to go, oh, you know what? Instead of picking up that can of soda, maybe I'll have a can of water uh, instead. And it will refresh me. It tastes great. It looks cool. Uh, and you know, I haven't had 35 grams of sugar drinking it. So that's all plus point two. So it's kind of where it came from. Yeah. And like, if you look at, I think there was a stat in a country like Mexico, where there is more bottles of Coca-Cola than there is water. Like you're more in like different countries, you're more likely to find a bottle of Coca-Cola than you are <laughs> to find water. Like it's so totally. crazy. And you know, the US has a very high consumption of like soda products, but places like Mexico and other countries around the world have insane like, numbers. And um, that just felt like a global issue too. Like we started in the UK thinking about many countries. The US is obviously, you know, logical place for us to launch, but hopefully we can do this in many more countries as well and solve that exact problem that you mentioned there, which is insane and staggering. If anyone wants mm -hmm. to look it up, the numbers are crazy. It's almost like you can't believe it, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I feel that too. Mm -hmm. now talking about the first version of the ugly drink uh where you're like very impressed about it or uh where you're like hey we need to <laughs> make another well, version can you talk more think, about that well i think reed hoffman who founded linkedin said if you're happy with the first version of your product you've launched too late yeah. um <laughs> and i agree with that i think one thing you learn starting your own business is that perfection is impossible and it is never where you want it to be and you're always constantly dissatisfied so if anything, you can never get the perfect product out. And the first version of our product was definitely not that. Uh, we actually launched a still version of the product, so um, flavored still water. And we had a bunch of production issues, um, some you know shelf life stability challenges. But actually what it led to was us moving into cans and carbonated, which was the best decision we've ever made. Um, 
So quite often problems or issues with the branding, you learn fast and it's all about learning and adapting either to what the consumer says or other problems you find. And um, how we pivoted and adapted maybe five or six times at this point, which is more than most companies, but you have to listen and you have to understand despite having a vision that consumers mm -hmm. and the market has to respond to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like going more into uh, launching a product, like, yeah, I, I talk to founders all the time. Like, I don't think any of the select successful one or were happy with like the first version, like you have to get that first version out there and then improve upon it. Definitely. Uh, and especially like us founders, like it's always like, we're trying to be like, as like very picky, like, Hey, I want it this way. And <laughs> uh, we don't want to launch something that we, we're not truly happy with, but the reality is you have to get it out there as fast as possible and then improve exactly. upon it. So, yeah, and yeah, and you a, don't want to go, you know, I mean, again, it depends how experienced you are, but certainly as a first time founder, you don't want to go too big too soon either because you, a hundred percent guaranteed to make mistakes, right? That's the guarantee. Mm -hmm. Your hundred percent, the plan you have is not going to happen. <laughs> so you have to get used to reacting and the faster, as you say, you can get it out and get people to test it, the quicker you'll make those changes that help it improve. Mm -hmm. Now with you starting the brand, uh, obviously going after like the large sugary uh, product brands, like how's everything been for you? Like what was the launch process? like because like all these brands are already like everybody knows about them they're like in every store like can you talk about like going to market with other yeah brands? yeah so the first thing is we decided to be omni-channel from the beginning so we wanted to be available online and offline which is what omni means many channels so um we wanted to be available on uglydrinks.com we're now on amazon as well we're also in retail we're in different channels of retail grocery stores convenience stores food service but the way, what they say, you can't eat an elephant all at once. So you need to break it down into bite-sized chunks. So America mm -hmm. is, you know, it's a scary, like, scale of a country. Um, mm -hmm. And so when you're in the UK, you look at it and you're like, how on earth are we going to even give this a go? And you're quite right to say, we can't, what we can't do is try and take the big companies on everywhere at once. So you have to be strategic and go, okay, we'll start in New York. We'll mm -hmm. do that there. We'll sell online across the country because that is one thing that's great about online is you can ship everywhere. But we started in retail in New York and then we learned that that worked. We were, and we built the team. We added a few more people. Then we launched in, you know, another few regions and states. And I think that's the only way to do it. And, and through what you just referenced, when you launch somewhere like New York, you just learn again. You learn about the type of people you want to hire. You learn how to motivate a team. You learn what works in stores, what doesn't work in stores. And then it's about refining and every time you launch somewhere new, taking those lessons on and, and, and portraying them in the next place you launch. Um, mm -hmm. So it depends. I guess that's what you do for a beverage company. But for any sort of business, I think you have to go one customer at a time to begin with and learn every time you launch with a new one, right? Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure you can you feel the same, right, on your side. Yeah. So um, that's kind of our experience. And one of, one of the great things for us has been being available at uglydrinks.com from the beginning has meant that a lot of people have discovered our brand around the country that if we were only available in stores, they never would have found us. Um, so it means we have fans in all sorts of interesting places, which gives the brand a rich, richer community, right? It's not just a New York or an LA brand. It is a brand that, you know, we have 80% of our consumers are not in New York and LA, right? Um, yeah. that's really and a really exciting thing about what we're doing and hopefully it goes to solve that problem on health of the whole country as well so kind of what's been exciting for us I think
Yeah. Now going back to you guys going omni-channel from the beginning, especially like with retail, like not every retailer just like lets in everybody, right? There has to be uh, something that got you guys in. Was it the product? Was it the sales or like the relationship with investors? Uh, I think it's a combination. I think um, at the beginning, it's just straight hustle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So knocking on the door, showing up, hustling, working your way in, never taking no for an answer. Um, and I think that's been the case for us across the board. As we've grown, hiring people who know, who have the black book of information and know the people was kind of in the way in. But those first, pretty much every store in the UK we've ever launched was through hustle and through joining the dots, getting connections, getting an introduction here, sending the product there, getting noticed by doing something else. And um, it's been a, been a real grind, but uh, that's how you do it. Uh, mm -hmm. other people might have a smoother ride in but that's what we did mm -hmm. now getting more into marketing uh, earlier you kind of talked about like coca-cola for example like they're advertising right like very healthy looking people drinking sugary drinks and then you realize like if you actually drink this every day you're not going to look like them exactly um, how do you convince someone to be able to like even make that switch uh, if there is like a bottle of ugly drinks in Coca-Cola, how do you even like get them to like say, okay, today uh, I'm going to try ugly drinks because it's healthier for me? Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's the big challenge for us to unlock, right? And obviously we're against companies that have a fair few dollars to spend on uh, telling that message. And Hannah, I've told that message for a hundred years too, right? So yeah, it's, it's a real David versus Goliath challenge. But I think the first thing is that we didn't want to look like a, a preachy health brand. We wanted people to feel like this is cool. I want to pick this up rather mm -hmm. than thinking, oh, I'm making a boring, healthy decision. Um, <laughs> so that's the first step. So the product is bold. The colors are, you know, the branding strong. And uh, then you have the name that makes people notice. So the first thing is like getting spotted. I think Seth Godin talks about the purple cow, right? Where you're on a train and you're going past fields and fields of cows. And then in one of the fields, there's a purple painted cow. The only yeah. thing you can remember is the purple painted cow which is why we're called ugly because you remember that drink from the shelf. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, that's been super, you know, super important for us. And the second thing, I think being at a price point where somebody's not making a really expensive trade-off. Um, so we're always trying to be at that similar, if not the same price point as the regular sodas and the brands we're up against, because then they're not making a decision based on, or am I going to spend 20 cents more or another couple of dollars? Um, am I going to, you know, can I, just make a, a simple switch like that. And then the third thing is that the product has to taste great. So when it's ice cold, it needs to be deliver. And it, somebody needs to go, wow, I didn't miss the other thing at all. I'm going to buy this every day from now on. And that's what we spend a lot of time on internally. We do con get consumer feedback from our direct consumer consumers, get consumer feedback from store. We do taste tests ourselves. And it's all about trying to recreate that soda moment, but without yeah. any of the bad stuff. So We've been using our direct-to-consumer website to test new flavors as well recently. So we send small batches of maybe some crazy flavors. We did a marshmallow flavor. We did a Dr. Ugly flavor, orange soda flavor, <laughs> water. They sell out very quickly, but we get feedback. People tell us they like them, and we're trying to bring people that nostalgic memory, but without any of the sugar, sweetener, colorings, or anything like that. So um, that's been a really interesting part of the way we've built things too. Yeah, I think it's a really great way to test out like new flavors uh, through your direct consumer site very quickly. 
Yeah. Uh, and I really like the approach of getting that feedback, especially now with things being closed and not being able to do things in person, taste yeah. tests, et cetera. Being able to do that online is we, really great. We can't go to the lab ourselves. So we took the lab to people's homes and uh, mm. some of the ideas we get back are arguably too crazy for us to ever make. <laughs> so we have to, there's some pretty creative plans out there, but um, you know, some of the flavors they've suggested we're actually got in our next batches coming up. So um, excited to see the people who suggested those um, pick them up and give them a go and see if they like them. But yeah, some of them, are, like I say, are totally bonkers, but that's what you mm. expect, right? Which said, yeah. that's where there's maybe some magic as well. Yeah. And like, in terms of like uh, your product line, you are, you have expanded your product line recently. Um, was that to also um, take more market share from like other products that um, you're trying to like, uh, kind of like the, the diabetes with sugar. Is that like yeah. the same approach with like other products? Yeah. So we, we launched an energy water range, which maybe you're referencing there. And that's mm -hmm. the same caffeine and the same ingredients as like a classic energy drink in a, in a tall boy can but without any of the sugar sweetener, like you say, again, um, you know, much of the marketing from those brands as like, you know, cage fighting, fast cars, all of that stuff. And we just wanted to put something out there that looked similar and had some of the similar cues, but then was obviously very healthy for people to drink. But really came again from our community saying, when are you going to put caffeine in this product? Can I get one with caffeine in it? Um, and we've had a lot of people saying they don't drink coffee and they want something alternative in the morning that's hydrating, that gives them the same boost. So we made it and then mm -hmm. we put it into stores and, um, yeah, I think I think Ugly as a brand is is meant to be a, a fun take and a healthy take on a lot of these things that have dominated for a long time. And we've obviously got a, a steep hill ahead of us, but that feels like an exciting route for us. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you've mentioned before uh, that you're building uh, the next Red Bull, right? Uh, <laughs> Maybe I said that. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's a steep goal. I can't believe I've set myself that ambition. I regret that now. Yeah. No, we are. It's going to be bigger than that one. <laughs> yeah yeah that's awesome uh so can you talk about like some of the different um acquisition strategies whether like uh, any marketing things that you've really done that you um saw really help you guys increase sales yeah so i mean firstly being called ugly means that people take photos of it right and tell their friends about it and i think having a product with word of mouth is just makes life a lot easier and so yes Certainly with these new flavors, when we've created some crazy flavors, um, you know, people tell their friends about it super fast. You know, we've got a bunch of interesting flavors coming out. And I think, so I think thinking about your products and thinking about it that way is important. Obviously, Facebook and Instagram for acquisition have been massive tools for us. And we're always testing different creative. Um, building really engaging emails has been massive. So we have separate emails. If you're a subscriber to Ugly, we call it Auto Magic. Um, you get magic deliveries every month, you get different mm -hmm. benefits. So you get early access to flavors, you get early access to merch when we launch that soon. Um, you get a bunch of other benefits, different discount pricing, et cetera. Um, so we're trying to bring people in and keep, keep everybody loving the brand, give them benefits for being loyal to us. So that's a big part of it. We launched SMS, uh, so text messaging this month, and we're expecting to see that perform really well. Um, mm -hmm. And then we also have, uh, TikTok, which we've had launched for a while, but a new approach to that coming in the coming months, um, yeah. YouTube, influencer strategy, a bunch of stuff that's coming up. But I think really 
everybody can, you know, we're getting the basics in place can deliver so much. Um, but now we've got, the, I guess, solid foundations. We can start playing around and seeing if there's things that over deliver for us. So um, that's now the focus for the next 12 months is kind of playing around at the edges and seeing where there's some interesting, interesting things we can get, um, you know, traction on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, luckily, uh, TikTok didn't uh, get banned uh, after <laughs> all. So. <laughs> We were worried about that for a bit. I was like, maybe we shouldn't invest loads in that this month. But yeah, I guess, uh, you know, uh, there was always going to be a solution in the end, hopefully, uh, which I hope that doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of like a, like a beverage, obviously like product or customer experience is really important. Um, can you talk about like, because like obviously like in different countries, uh, there's like different weathers and different temperatures and all kinds of stuff. Can you talk about like how you're kind of like, I guess offering the same customer experience to different customers um, in different countries? Well, we, we had a bunch of issues with that when we first started. And I don't know if that, if you've read about that or if that's just uh, um, something I now need to admit to. But yeah, I think when, um, when we first launched in the US, we used the same box we'd used in the UK to deliver the products. And we'd never seen any damages in the UK. But I think what you realize is when the, when the, when this country is the scale it's at and flying over it, flying from uh, LA to New York's the same as flying from Londo to the Congo in Africa. We, I think when we realized that we were like, wow, these products are going to go a lot further. We're going to need to make tougher boxes. Obviously when you're shipping things out in a box, that's not tough enough, you have a bunch of wet packages arriving. So we navigated that. And then I think the other thing we had, I think there was a time where you had, you know, 100 Fahrenheit plus in Arizona. And we still had had freezing temperatures in Michigan and Minnesota. And so we had product freezing in some states and then exploding from the heat in others. So we had to build temperature, temperature adjusted boxes and packaging for each of the scenarios. And um, obviously not every state has those temperatures all the time. And it's only when it gets those real extremes freezing or like, you know, insane 120 Fahrenheit that we see these issues, but we still need to be aware of it. So now we, we think about the regions and think about you know, how it's going to arrive. Yeah. We have to adapt and adjust. And uh, now now we manage to have a good grip on that. But for a while, when we first launched as Brits, like fresh off the boat, thinking through what are we going to do? <laughs> um I think that was a that was a, a big challenge because obviously once you've got people receiving wet packages, you you've got a lot of people to apologize to. So we had to ease back, fix the packaging, and our team, you know, team's phenomenal. We had some great help from other people externally as well and managed to uh, make something that's FedEx proof ultimately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're getting there now. Yeah, that's awesome. Like and it's so crazy. Like these are things that you learn. There's so much that you learn along the way. Yeah. And that's what makes the whole experience like very fun uh, to be building that, something big. Fun's an interesting word for that experience, Ari, but uh, I'll let you say. <laughs> <laughs> the story's better than actually living it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, being in the beverage space, I know uh, it's something that people are always taking a look at. It sounds very complicated, especially here in the US, with getting approval with like FDA and a bunch of other places mm-hmm. can you talk about like the biggest thing that you've learned uh in this space oh, i mean this in, in terms of the nutritional side and like getting that approved oh like just in general oh there's just so many things i've learned i think um the big thing is what we've just discussed is that 
if you don't put your stuff out there, you'll never learn and you'll never improve. And so quite often, if you said you started a food and drink product and you launched at a farmer's market, um, you might not have the FDA coming down on you in the same way, right? So you can find out, oh, does somebody like my peanut butter or does somebody like my apple juice that I'm making from apples in my orchard? And yeah. consumers will give you feedback. And I think it's always good to try and, you know, if you are, they say there's a book called The Mum Test, right? And it's like, if you ask your mum what she thinks about your startup, she'll either say she loves it because she loves you <laughs> or she'll say she hates it because she loves you and she doesn't want yeah. you to start a business and risk everything. So it's really hard to get honest feedback from friends and family. So the best feedback is from people paying their hard-earned money for what you're doing, um, whether that's online or offline. I think that's the biggest lesson for any founder, really. It's like, can you get somebody you don't know to exchange cash for your service? Is there value? And if there is, listen to them, see what they think, mm -hmm. and then adjust it and adapt it. And I think all of those things come, the FDA, the approvals, the legal stuff, all comes as you kind of build and scale it up. Um, but I think just putting stuff out there and learning is the key. Um, nobody remembers what the first version of Ugly looks like now, right? It's, and yeah. if anybody asks you what's the first version of Coca-Cola or first version of Heinz ketchup look like, nothing like it does today, right? Yeah. Um, so I think everything is a game of test and learn and improving things. And um, I guess that, that's kind of the biggest learning, I think, in this whole process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really love the fact that you guys actually went out and gave out demos of the actual product to real people. Yeah, uh, like you said, like you know, you'd launch a product, your friends, family buy, uh, you think you got something, but yeah. when you, <laughs> you usually get completely different feedback sometimes totally. when you actually take out to real people. So that's really amazing that you guys are doing it uh, and still doing it to this day. So that's awesome. Yeah, now, no, I think that's important. Yeah. And other, obviously you're, you know, when you started, you were hustling a lot. Uh, I'm assuming you probably still are. Uh, so what are there like any routines or things that you do that help you really uh, get to where you are today? I mean, I'm by no means any sort of like role model or finished artist. <laughs> I think um, if anything, going backwards on many of my habits and this year has been tough, right? I think this year has been tough for everyone to keep, Mm -hmm. keep their habits and keep good practice i think for me personally working out has become a real important thing and if i don't do it which often i don't want to pretty much every day I don't want yeah. to <laughs> um, my mood is totally different and when you have when you're a leader and you have to motivate a team of people you have to stay positive and you have to stay at least in control of your emotions and i don't always get that right and i think that's something i've learned recently is you know building that building a foundation of like looking after yourself is all important and many times during ugly's journey i've not looked after myself well enough what they say on the airplane right is that you know put your mask on before you help others yeah i just haven't i haven't done that enough at certain points um but that's the one thing i guess looking after yourself sleeping eating exercising it sounds cliched but generally you know a year in you can get away with it two years maybe you can get away with it year three year four year five it catches up with you however old you are um and so i've noticed that happen i think the other big thing for me is just to having a to-do list process and having mm -hmm. that having a system where your things in your head are captured on a piece of paper for me it's paper i've tried using notion and everything yeah. i always <laughs> most i get the most out of me when i'm when i have the pen in my hand and it's also my almost like my brain connected with my hand and just getting it out of my head you know you get everything on your mind out of your head onto a piece of paper 
and then you can prioritize what the most important things are. I'd say mm -hmm. that's almost the number one thing for me has been, you know, there's so many ideas. I have so many ideas, almost too many sometimes just to get them on a piece of paper. So, you know, they're captured somewhere. They're not gone anywhere. You've not lost the idea. You've not, you're not relying on your memory. I think that's been a big thing for me. Um, certainly early on and, and now in terms of just, you know, writing everything down, picking the top five things and then doing the top five things. And it is as simple as that. That sounds mm. simple, but it's hard to do, right? There's a lot of ruthless prioritization, but um, I'd say those two things and, you know, st starting the day by writing a to-do list after I've worked out, those days generally go well. The days where I don't write a to-do list and don't work out go badly. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> try and have less of those and more of the good ones generally if I can. Yeah, I feel the same way too. Like I've tried like like Notion to do is my project management yeah. tools. <laughs> I always like writing it down in a notebook and actually crossing it out. Like always, like oh, always. I'm glad you said the crossing out thing. That's the thing. That's the key, right? Too many people don't cross their stuff off the list, right? It's the most satisfying thing when you go through and you've seen you've actually done some stuff too, right? Mm. Um, I'm glad you said that. Awesome. Well, Hugh, thanks for being in the podcast. How can people find you and Ugly Drinks? Yeah, no, I appreciate you inviting me on. Um, I'm Ugly Hugh, as you say. If you search that, you'll find me on any platform, probably. <laughs> uh, but feel free to reach out to me. I generally will try and, you know, like I said at the beginning, we had a lot of help. We still have a lot of help up the ladder. I'm always willing to help other people to answer questions. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, probably TikTok somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Snapchat. <laughs> uh, I definitely won't be checking, but if you want to find me there, I'll be there. Um, and then Ugly Drinks is the same on all of those platforms. Um, if you tweet the team um, or if you email hello at uglydrinks.com, generally this stuff will you know, get an answer very quickly and we've got a very helpful team. Um, if you go to uglydrinks.com and use ugly hue in caps, or maybe lowercase, it might work too, you'll get a yeah. very nice discount for anyone listening as well. Um, I probably will get in trouble for giving that code out, but um, <laughs> use that because that's a good one. So if anybody wants to pick up a case or try the new limited editions, give it a go and see what you think and let me know by one of the social medias I just mentioned. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely leave those links in the description and definitely appreciate that discount code. Um, yeah, so if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, uh, I still have one more question for you here. So head over to YouTube. This section is going to be only on YouTube. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Personal Mastery Podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, please follow this podcast and leave us a five-star review. And as always, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Personal Mastery Podcast.